Bibles again to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians 1. It's been a little while since we've been in this book. We're going to be doing a little bit of reviewing, but please, please don't shut down on me when I say this. Like, oh, yeah, we're talking about something we talked about before. No, we're, we're, we're going to be all right. But uh, as we looked at uh, the first 14 verses, I hope that reminds you of some things that we're talking about. And just a general review of this book, Paul gives thanks to God based upon the good reports that he heard from Epaphras. He heard some great reports about this church and how they were growing and the things they were doing. These believers were living a faithful, productive Christian life. And so they're a great example to us. They loved one another, the scriptures tell us. They were growing in their faith, as I mentioned, and they were reaching their community. The word was going out uh, from them. They were uh, gospel-centered, Christ-centered living is what characterized this church. So that is where we are couched now as, as Paul first talked with them and told them what he had witnessed about them, what he had heard about them. But then he talks about how he is going to pray for them. And that's what we began to look at. Now, just as another reminder, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what do we do when we, and this is paraphrasing a bit, but when we just blow it spiritually, what, what, what do we do? How do we recover from that? And so we covered that a little bit a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, which is not quite the same thing, is what happens when we are in a spiritual drought? How do we respond from the word of God, uh, from our hearts, uh, when, when we are in a dry place? And so we looked at those things uh, partly because we just wanted to take a break at, at the beginning of the year and just examine a couple of those things. And, and uh, it was just a good time to kind of have a, a new start, so to speak. And, you know, we, we think about that when it comes new, to the new year. But those things are not completely divorced from what we're, we'll be talking about this morning and what we have been talking about in relation to the Colossian church. And so the last thing I want to just briefly review with you as we consider this is... is uh, uh, well, let me, let me read for you first. Let's, let's look at verse 9. It says, For this reason, talking about the faith that they have, talking about their, their, uh, their faithful life that they have, for this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you <clears throat> and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so we took some time for several weeks to examine the will of God. Because here, here's... What I was um, explaining earlier on in our study is that I really believe that there is something here that's prescriptive, something that we are given as a way to grow in Christ. That's really what Paul is doing as he's praying for this Colossian church, saying, I'm praying for you to grow. And so that growth begins with, first of all, understanding the will of God. And so we kind of talked around about the fact that sometimes the will of God is slippery for us. It, it's, it's, it, we, we make it sometimes harder than what it is. There are also a number of methods, which we're not going to review, but we're, there are a number of methods that people tend to use that really aren't necessarily biblical. And so it starts to become this, this extra biblical outside of the Bible way to try to figure out what God wants us to do with our lives. And so then we, we came back to, okay, what's the core things that God wants to do? What is his will, his desire for us? And so we covered those things. Again, we're not taking time to, do, to look through all of that, but that's what we examined. 
And so as we examine that, uh, I just want us to consider just a couple of things. An all-knowing God who also knows us is not going to make his will cagey or mysterious or confusing and then hold us to following it, right? That's not how he operates. It goes against everything that we know of his nature. Therefore, when things are clearly in line or out of line with his will, we need to respond accordingly. We can fool ourselves and we need to be careful of that. Matters of life that extend beyond absolutes or solid biblical principles should be influenced by the principles uh, that mostly, um, most clearly speak to that subject. All right? So you might be thinking about a job change or any number of things in your life that can take place. What classes do I take when I go to college? What, you know, all those different things. Well, I don't know that you're going to find in Scripture what career path you're supposed to take, Right? But are there principles in scriptures that you can still live by while you do that? Yes, right? So that's what we're talking about. So now this brings us to Colossians chapter 10. And just to refresh our minds, I'm going to read that for you again. I just read 9. It led up to us that we want to do this. And again, let me just rephrase this. We want to know God's will with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, right? So, So it is a... It is a fully understandable will that God wants us to have. And then it goes on to say that in verse 10, that we may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what does living a worthy life mean? I mean, that's, that's big. Let me give you a couple of parallel passages, and the first one I'm going to give you is actually a negative, so I'm warning you in advance here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, is the context in which we're talking about Paul correcting the Corinthian church about their misuse of the Lord's table, right? And so he says there, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Uh, this this. Uh, Greek word that we have here of worthy um, is, is all the verses I'm going to give you. It's the same word. This one happens to be the anti-worthy, right, is really what, what this word is talking about. So on a negative side, when we think of that, we don't want to come to the Lord's table and, and partake of that in, in an unworthy or in an inappropriate manner. And so we can learn even from the negative of that. But then look at Ephesians chapter 4, 1 with me. Um, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. I, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So here is Paul talking to the Ephesian church now. And he's saying, I'm asking you, I'm begging you to, to have a worthy walk based upon what you've been called to do. He doesn't stop there. He talks to the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I, I, I like how he, he talks to multiple churches, but look at what's couched around here. There's the individual aspect of it, but then this is even a corporate aspect, right? Where 
we're walking worthy as individuals, but we're also, we're doing that together. And I, and I like that. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. As you know, we were exhorted and comforted and charged every... We, I'm sorry, as you know how, sorry, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. One of the things that we can see there, one of the common threads, is that our walk is based upon our faith. Our walk is based upon what Christ has done for us, right? But what does this mean? And we're kind of look at a general look at this for just a moment. I have known speakers to get nervous about this term, just to be blunt about it, trying to play it down, explaining that we are not worthy of anything from God, especially our salvation. So the idea is, well, okay, yeah, it says worthy, but we know that we're unworthy and, and things like that. But this isn't how the word is being used. It is not the uh, perspective of living a worthy um, life. Um, sorry, let me say it a different way. It's not from the perspective of living a life worthy of being called, right? In other words, this isn't saying I'm worthy of what I have been called into, but rather it's living a, a life worthy of the calling we have already received. You see the difference? So as a result, our life should be different and it should be worthy. It should be lived appropriately based upon the faith that God has given to us, based upon the hope that the Lord has given to us. Paul is instructing and encouraging the Colossian believers that their lifestyle should measure up to what they have been given in Christ, both now what they have been given and what they have been given for eternity. In other words, we want to live up to what we have been given. That's what it means to lead a worthy life. So then we ask ourselves, is living a worthy life possible? Because I do believe that at times there are those who think it's not. I mean, just, just to be brass tacks about it, we sometimes don't think it's possible. How many of us are thinking right now, I can't possibly live a worthy life for what Christ has done for me? I hear that sometimes. We can't forget that it's based upon knowing God's will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. We reviewed that. So what we do, how we live, is based upon his will, his desire for us. So if we are living according to God's desires, that is a worthy life. It's no longer about who we were before Christ. It is about everything in our present life with Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Very familiar passage, but very important to this concept. I'm going to begin in verse 12 and conclude in verse 14. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already attained. By the way, who's speaking here? It's just Paul, right? The superstar, Paul, you know, the one who was the apostle called out of season, the one who goes in and gets beat up and walks away and says, that was fun. I mean, this is the Paul we're talking about. This guy is on fire for the Lord. 
And what does he say again? Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That was where Paul's focus was. What he's basically saying here on a practical level is, I have forgotten my past and I'm moving forward. I'm moving on. We also need to forget our past as believers. Isn't that right? We need to put it behind us. Sometimes we, we take these, these arbitrary parentheses, these brackets, and we stick them on our life and I say, I'm not worthy because bam! And we just include something from our past. Where are you living now? Who is your focus on now? How are you obeying now? That's what I believe Paul is really trying to emphasize here. Living a worthy life is not only possible, folks, it's expected. It's expected. So then how do we do it? How do we lead a worthy life? I believe that some of the things that we have right here in this passage help us with that. Again, as we consider this passage, Colossians chapter 1, he tells us that we are to lead this worthy life, but it says fully pleasing God. Folks, that's, that's a God-centered focus. That is, that is taking everything that we uh, thinking and knowing and doing and all those things, and, and we're making sure that, that we're, we're, we're pleasing the Lord. Again, what I want to do is look at some uh, other passages of Scripture that help us with this idea that Paul has given to us. And there's a couple of Psalms. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11 says this. He does not, and this is the Lord, does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of man. And that's that idea of, of our own strength, right? The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. And those who hope in his mercy. Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31. Again, fully pleasing God. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord. Listen to this now. Better than an ox or a bull which has horns and hooves. Now he's not saying I'm better than an animal. He's talking about the sacrifice, right? So what he's saying here is me magnifying God and being thankful to God from my spirit is more worthy, is more important. God is pleased with that more than a physical sacrifice that I can make. Now, he's not saying that the physical sacrifice isn't important. The point is the heart has to be in that. Just like the heart has to be in what we do for the Lord, right? Let's go to another passage, Hebrews chapter 13. So we go to the New Testament, although we're flirting around with the Old Testament a little bit, right? Because this is the Hebrews. So, it's, so it's, it's kind of cool. But it says Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. 
Now may the God of peace who brought up your, our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, right? It's that everlasting covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of faith. May you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Wow. That's what God is about. He's about working in us. To yes, to bring glory to the great shepherd, but also to, to be pleased in what we are doing. So the first thing that we can do in order to lead a worthy life is to find out, hey, what is pleasing to God? And, and desire to do that. Because what's pleasing to him ultimately comes from the heart. And the next phrase we see there is that we are to bear fruit in every good work, to produce good works. Now notice how this order comes, right? Even in the context. He's already talked about their faith. And he's talked about their faithfulness. And then he says, but what I want to do is, I, 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 want, I want to keep on praying for you because I, I want you to know God's will and I want you to do it. And a part of that is then producing good works. Not doing good works so that I can somehow gain God's pleasing, but I am the, 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 a proper kind of person on the inside. I have a dedication to him. I, I am living in a pleasing way, which then results in even more pleasing ways, producing good fruit, right? That's what he's talking about. Can we get, as Jesus would say, fresh water from a salty well? No. So if we are not living according to God's standard, if our heart really isn't with him, then how are we expected to then produce good works, right? So the relationship is right. It's healthy. It's good. And then the fruit comes. Amen. Let's look at some practical aspects of this. This is just what I want to do this morning. Is we don't have to examine what is, what is bearing good fruit. We know what doing good things is. But let's just talk about this personally. Our thoughts, words, and actions need to be conformed to God's standard. Now, that's a very wide sweeping sentence there, right? But think about it. That's what holiness is. That's what growing is. That's what sanctification, setting ourselves apart, is all about, is our thoughts and our words and our actions being conformed to the standard of Christ. Growing in our love for the Lord and for others. Also personally, our personal use of our time talents and treasures what we do with what god has entrusted to us then in our family marriages that model christ and the church now i want to be very careful to be very practical about this you may be in a marriage where you're not working with someone who knows christ i'm not concerned about the reasons for that right now as much as just the fact it's a fact can you do all that you can to be Christ-like in that relationship? To bring Christ into that relationship? I'm not talking about, you know, forcing Jesus on your spouse. 
but to model who Jesus is there. You can do that. And that is Christ honoring. Intentional parenting and grandparenting. That is a way that we can produce good fruit. Children that honor and obey their parents. And I hear all these amens, right? No, seriously. Guys, I, I, I know this might sound weird, but kids, that's, you know, youth, that's your job right now. It's your job to understand what it means to submit yourself to the authority of your parents. Because that's what we all have to do in Christ. That's what it's all about. So when we grit our teeth, and I say we because I did the same thing, when we grit our teeth against our parents, when it's like, okay, right? And that's the kind of attitude we have. Maybe that's reflective of our attitude toward God and his standard too. But when we say, you know what? My mom and dad, they have my best interest at heart. And they want me to know who Jesus is. My mom and dad love me enough to correct me. To discipline me. By the way, discipline isn't all negative, right? Discipline is simply a standard. Because I bet you you get hugs and kisses and stuff too. But the whole point is this. Is that that is where God is using your family as the crucible of helping you be who Jesus wants you to be. Adult children honoring their parents. That is another way that we can and should produce good fruits. And then obviously there are many other family relationships where we can model Christ likeness. And, you know, obviously the marriage is the easy one to point to. Anybody who is a child and your parents are still alive is easy to point to. But I don't want to forget that we have brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and all those other relationships. And that too, we can reflect and produce good works, produce good fruit based upon how we're living with those closest to us. How about in our church? Friendships that encourage godliness. Fulfilling the one another passages of Scripture. Encouraging spiritual growth in other people. Meeting the needs in the church and even wise biblical counsel. All these different things we can do to help to, to do good works, but also even to encourage, encourage good works in others. And then I think of our world, our community. Again, we're just talking about some practical things here. Testifying of our relationship with the Lord. Of course, that's important to us. You know, folks, um, I, I confess recently, there are times, I'm just going to be very transparent with you, there are times when, you know, I'm thinking, I, 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 should, I should say something to this person. I should share something with them. And, you know, obviously in, in a given context, I think to myself, they don't want to listen. They don't want to hear. They, they don't want to to have any, they don't have anything to do with the Lord. Is that a reason not to share? It certainly isn't a valid one. Now, how we share and how long we are able to share <laughs> might be, you know, different based upon how that person responds. But shame on me when I let a circumstance determine whether or not I give the good news of Christ to somebody else. 
Now, I'm not saying that happens all the time, but sometimes it does. Where I just feel like they don't want to hear. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Do you ever feel like there's a world around us that just, just get away? Right? That's, that's what we feel like sometimes. And yet Jesus tells us the fields are waiting to harvest. God hasn't stopped working. We don't do the saving, so why are we worried about who he's going to save? Let's just sow the seed. I do think there's responsible ways to do that. And drubbing somebody with the Bible is not one of them. But at the same time, as we see how Jesus talked to people, as we see how Jesus basically just simply lived out his gospel, we can follow his plan, we can follow his example and testify of our relationship with Christ. How about being a good employee or a good employer? Is that a way that we can show good fruit? Is that a way that we can, we can express what God has done in our hearts? Of course. How easy is it when you're with a bunch of other employees and man, it's so easy to criticize those people above us, right? You know what they did to me? Well, let me tell you what they did to me, right? And it's easy. That's not good fruit. I'm not saying that you can't stand up for yourself. But I'm saying we've got to be careful where it's coming from and what's coming out. We have the opportunity to produce good fruit in those situations. How about being a good neighbor and citizen, including the reputation that we have with other people? Folks, I don't mean to be negative about this, but there have been a couple of times in my life when I've been out to eat with some people and the way they treated the wait staff was embarrassing. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, they're not your slave, right? This, this isn't some, some Roman, you know, fiefdom here where, you know, you, you know they're, they're, they're waiting on you because you own them. They're just there to do a job. Man, make it easy on them. Show your appreciation. Do you know how refreshing that is sometimes? Like, I'm not trying to brag here. I was, I was probably with other people. But, but there were times when, when a waiter or a waitress would actually say something to us and say, it was a pleasure waiting on you today. And you're like, you poor thing. Like, <laughs> well, how did other people treat you? Right? And that's just one example. That's just one example of how we can treat people as people. And that is just some cog in the machine to humanize them and to help them understand that we see them. That's how we can be salt and light, be a good neighbor and a good citizen. Helping the poor. But it's tough sometimes to know how to do that. I mean, just, just to be blatantly honest. Who are the poor among us? Who are the truly needy? What are they receiving? What are they not receiving? All those different things. You know, the best rule that I can just kind of leave with you in helping the poor is this. Err on the side of love. Err on the side of generosity. Err on the side of kindness. That is good fruit. 
The scripture also tell us that we are to increase in the knowledge of God. I don't believe this is to be understood as simply an academic exercise. There's nothing wrong with having some letters next to your name. There's nothing wrong with, with, with reading, you know, good, rich books or, or uh, pamphlets with articles that we might have out in the foyer, right? There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But this is talking about a knowledge of God, not knowing about God, but experientially knowing who he is experiencing relationship. The more we know God, the more we know what pleases Him. The more we know God, the more what pleases Him will please us. Correct? So as we think about fulfilling God's will, and as we think about then living a life worthy of him, increasing in our knowledge of who the Lord is, is going to be paramount. There are many, many ways we can do that. We cannot substitute being in his word. We cannot substitute being here and being fed. We cannot substitute even even the exchange with one another about what we have read. Here's just a quick idea as we kind of put a couple of these things together. This just popped in my head, so I'm sorry. If it, what, if, what if a mom or a dad, let me say it differently. This probably already happens. What if it just happened more often where a mom or a dad shared with their child, regardless of the age, hey, I learned something from God's word today. What if you young people told your mom or dad, or your brother or sister. This is what God taught me as I looked at his word. Man. And one another in the church, right? So as we kind of bring this to a conclusion, just a couple of, a couple of things to think about here. And it's going to be a long conclusion, just to warn you. We want to, we want to look at some practical things here. I believe that there's a formula here. It's not complete yet. Next week, we'll look at some other things. But Paul is praying for the Colossian church. He wants them to grow. He wants them to know who Jesus is. He wants them to know the will of God. So, of course, faith comes first. Again, we've already talked about this, but I want to emphasize it as we, as we kind of bring this together. This is all based upon knowing the Lord which is where Paul began with the Colossians. If we don't know Jesus, we can't please God. It's just that simple. If we know Jesus, we can please the Lord, and we should please the Lord. We need to know God's will, and we spent some time with that. And then he tells us to live a worthy life, to please God, to do good works, and to increase our knowledge of God. And so what I see here is, and I don't want to make this like super scientific or whatever, but it, it's a formula. We know Christ. That's going to be the constant. We will always, once we have learned it, we will know a level of God's will. But life changes, doesn't it? Which means that we have to do what? We have to change with that. We have to apply what we know of God's will 
probably expand our thinking on it, apply it in different ways. But when we know God's will, then we in turn will say, okay, since I know what God's will is, and as I endeavor to lead a pleasing life for him, or for him, a worthy life, based upon the faith he's given to me, I'm going to want to please him. When I know his will, I also know what pleases him. And so I want to do that. And then I want to do good works. Not checking off boxes. Not just, you know, getting all of my do's and don'ts, those ducks in a row. But instead, it's an outworking of the relationship that I have with him. And then I want to increase in my knowledge of who he is. Well, what's that going to do? That increasing of my knowledge is going to give me a better understanding of his will. It's going to help me to lead a more worthy life and so on, right? So, so it's, it's going to be cyclical. It's going to help us to continue to grow upward. That's what Paul is desiring for these people. Now, one thing that I think kind of just knocks around in our heads sometimes, and I want to spend some time on this, is we might look at this and say, how can we keep on growing? Um, no. We already keep on growing. How can we keep on doing more and more and more? In other words, how can I continue to pray more and more, to read more and more, to serve more and more? Because that's what we say, right? That's the benchmark. How much are you reading the Bible? How much are you praying? How, what are you doing? I want to be very careful and very specific when I tell you this, right? I'm not saying get by with as little as possible prayer, as little as possible Bible reading. Is that what I'm saying? But here's the point. There's a limit. I read the Bible five hours a day and I'm unemployed. Fantastic. You can't take care of your family, but you got your Bible reading down pat. You see, the problem is you miss something in your reading. Right? I mean, seriously. So there's a balance. There's a balance. And by the way, what does the Lord actually tell us about prayer? That we're always to be in a state of prayer, right? We're, we're always, so it's not that we have to stop everything in order to speak to God. We can talk to him anytime. Again, I'm not discounting the times when we take ourselves apart, devote time to him, and spend personal time with him. I'm not doing that. I'm talking about balance. And even service. It's interesting. Brother Larry mentioned this morning in Sunday school and uh, the Bible fellowship time, and, I, and I've, I've tried to encourage you. Be here if you can. It's just that much more time, right? You're going to be fed. And one of the things that he mentioned was, How's your balance between service for God and spending time with God and so on? I mean, there's, and, and, and even your, your other responsibilities. So it worked out very well with the message. There are limits to how much time we can do anything. So what is Paul communicating? Paul encourages us to know the Lord 
and his will better. The result is growing quality and consistency to our Christian life. That's really what he's talking about. He's talking about a quality consistency. So if we are not consistent in reading our Bible, as we understand what pleases God, and as we desire to do his will, we are going to make sure that we are reading, that we are getting that intake so that we know his will, so that we know what pleases him, so that we know how to grow, we know how to serve, we know how to produce good fruit. And what's that going to do? That's going to help us gain a better understanding of who God is, which in turn, right, you see that process going. He wants quality and consistency. That does include at times some quantity. Let me tell you something that's very refreshing if you haven't done it is just read an entire book of the Bible all the way through. Some of those are really long. I'm not talking about necessarily Exodus, okay, although that's good. You know, Leviticus, right? You, know, you can only read so many times the different sacrifices, right? But what about Matthew? What about John? What about reading through uh, Philemon, right? Three or four times in a row, right? So there is something about the amount, but there's also something about, again, the quality and consistency of our Christian life. What we're talking about is appropriately addressing life as it happens. Life changes, and God has prepared us for those changes. God does not change. His word does not change. His will changes. But as life changes around us, and as we understand his will, then all those other things will fall in line when it comes to wanting to please him, regardless of what the circumstances are. So we can't just stop and say, as Paul said, he didn't stop and say, I'm good. I'm okay. I've arrived. I, I have enough information. I'm just going to kind of coast on through now in, until glory, right? That's not really an option. Because as we understand God's will and as we respond by living a worthy life and all these things I talked about, it's going to help us understand who God is better. And then we're going to say, okay, I have a better understanding of his will now, so now I want to please him more, right? So let's drill down a little further regarding this. If living a life worthy of salvation, a life that is pleasing to God, isn't possible, if we just think about that for a minute, then God has not told us the truth. That's really what we're faced with. God does not pull a bait and switch in our lives when he brings us into himself. He doesn't constantly move the goal, right? Some of you young people play soccer, right? Isn't it fun when you're passing the ball to each other and all that kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden they say, hey, this team gets five goalies now. That's not fair, is it? Right? Now, I'm not saying life doesn't change. I'm saying God doesn't change. So he's not going to change the rules in the middle of the game. We need to understand the difference between continued growth in our spiritual life and faithfulness. We can live faithfully even when we continue to grow. We know this because Paul is praying for this group of believers He's praying that they continue to grow even as he calls them faithful. Read it. 
Read it in the first, first 14 verses. Paul is talking to a faithful people and he's saying, but I'm praying for you to grow. In addition, we cannot confuse a life lived in a manner worthy of being called a child of God with sinless perfection. It doesn't mean that we condone sin. It doesn't mean anything like that at all. It just simply means that we're not going to be perfect. The word perfect oftentimes in the scriptures is used for completion, right? For being mature. I'm talking about having absolutely no sin in our lives, ever. But how often do we beat ourselves up over that? How often do we say, see, I can't achieve perfection, therefore <laughs> I give up. I'll just do what I can and kind of muddle through. That's not the prescription that Paul, that I believe the Lord is giving to us. And I'm afraid that sometimes we lose heart because we set a standard of ourselves that is greater than the one that God sets, folks. It really is. Let me ask you this. Isn't that exactly what Jesus was so focused on eliminating when he came to this earth and talked to his people? Standards that were set that weren't the Lord's. Adding to God's standard, taking away from it, adjusting it to fit the situation. Embracing the expectation of living a worthy life is embracing the grace and the peace from God that Paul greeted this church with. That's where it's about. Grace. Truly understanding a gracious God who brought us into his family and somehow, think about this, guys. Think about this. Somehow what he says is, I've taken it all away. You are good. We, are, we, are, uh, we have a right relationship. We have been reconciled. Positionally, you are mine and I am yours. And there is nothing between us because of what Jesus did. On a practical basis, yes, we can even be to the ultimate discipline, all right? But what I'm talking about is, as he sees us, he sees us sinless by his grace. And what that is supposed to produce in us is a peace. Not having our guts wrenched around all the time because we're not perfect. Or because we feel like, I've, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. But instead, having it flow out from Where? from a love, from a desire to please him. So what I want to encourage you to do is embrace the grace that God has given to us, not a free-for-all, but an understanding that we are not perfect. A worthy life, a life appropriately lived based upon what Jesus did for us and who God is. And then also experience that peace that he so desires for us because of what he's done on our behalf. So live it. And live it using the scriptures and the example of Christ as our guide. 
Now, I think before I'm finished here, I'm going to become famous for these really silly illustrations. I'm a simple guy. I, I just, I, I, that's what you're going to get. Years ago, we would go fishing. My dad, my brothers, many times my mom would go too. My mom's a pretty decent fisherman, uh, fisherwoman. Anyway, so we would go out and we would, we would go perch fishing. And we would get like a boatload of perch. I mean, we, we would get a lot of perch. So my dad would clean the fish, and I, I would help scale and stuff. My dad, and he didn't like anybody else but him to fillet because he got all the meat off, and it's good. So I was like, you go for it, right? One of my jobs was then to go into the garden and dig a hole. Dig a hole for the guts. It's good for the garden, right? Plus you had to get rid of them. So, so I would dig a hole. And when I was younger, I was like, oh, I'm going to dig a hole, right? We were just out in the sun. And, you know, I'm tired. Got up at four in the morning, right? You know, all that kind of stuff. And so I dig a hole. My dad walked over and said, that's, that's not a good hole. We, we put the guts in there. We put the dirt over top of some dogs going to come and dig it up. It's going to smell and everything. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know. So, well, there was a point where I realized, you know, I think I really know what dad wants. Right? I, I know what's going to please him. And so I dug. I mean, it, it was a beautiful hole, folks. <laughs> All of you, you walk by and you say, that's a good hole, right? But that's exactly what my dad did. You know, I got done. So he comes over for the inspection. And he looks down and he said, that's a good hole. Now, now you might say to yourself, man, you know, <laughs> you don't live for much, do you? But, but I'm telling you. There was something energizing about my dad being pleased with me. Right? School wasn't going to do it. I needed to dig a hole in the dirt. School was not going to do it. Anyway, you get what I'm trying to say. So it doesn't matter the task. It's all of them. But when the scriptures here tell us fully pleasing him, and we went through these scriptures that tell us this is what pleases God. And, and the fact that he is then pleased with us, let's put this together. We're given a life that we don't deserve. We're not worthy of. We know that. But we're given the opportunity to live a life that is worthy for him. And then our heavenly dad says, I like it. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Is that worth it, folks? Is that worth it? Absolutely. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we don't need to wait until we stand before you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but we want that to take place. Lord, I pray that each person here desires that with their whole heart. But Father, you have shown us that you want to be pleased with us now. And I believe, I believe that you will communicate that with us. But Lord, help us in our weakness. Help us to hear when you're pleased with us. Because so many times, it's really our own voice right there telling us we're awful, we're rotten, we don't measure up. We thank you that our salvation was not based 
upon our works. We thank you that truly our day-to-day working out our salvation is not just based upon works. You tell us you never leave us or forsake us, and there's no other note with that. There's no exception. And so we thank you that you don't. Thank you that you're always with us. But Lord, I pray that we will be a people that wants to know your will so that we can live that worthy life and know you better. Lord, we say that we love you. I pray that when no one else is around, that when no one else sees what we're doing or not doing, when it's really just the two of us, you and the individual, right there in our hearts, that we will demonstrate that we love you. And then, Lord, I pray that our life will show it in all the varying ways that it can and should. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your peace. And we thank you for your good and perfect will. As we do it, Lord, we want to please you. We love you, and we want to express that to you even now. As our hearts are joined together, Lord, we just want to tell you, we love you very much. In Christ's name, amen.